Praise God. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be moving around to some uh, uh, various uh, different scriptures in the Bible today, but just get your Bible ready and go to Matthew <clears throat> chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and today I want to talk to you about service. Not the service, but service and serving. Um, and really, essentially, what serving looks like according to the Scripture or service in action. Um, the very word in itself implies action. To serve something or someone implies that you are doing things for that individual. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, the customer is always right. Uh, <laughs> And for those of you who have, you know, you've kind of been in situations where that has been their moniker and their belief, uh, there are ways that they promote that concept and that idea. Uh, having worked at, in customer service at a water and sewer company where they had no choice but to have us as their provider of water and sewer management, we did not necessarily come in line with that viewpoint. The customer at times might have been right, but there were times where the customer was most definitely wrong and we were right. And on occasion, I had to inform a few of those customers that in fact, the company's way of doing things was in fact the right way. They didn't like it. But nonetheless, that was the case. But the idea behind that viewpoint of the customer is always right is that of we as a business want to serve you, be our very best for you that we possibly can. But you see, in the kingdom of God, there are no customers. And there is only one who is right, and it is God. And the bottom line is, in much of Christianity, we are doing, and there are people who are doing their best to somehow come along and to say, what is in this thing for me? A lot of times churches grow because they find something that feeds them personally so that that concept of what's in it for me can, in fact, grow. Brothers and sisters, I recognize today that what we have to understand is simply this, that as believers, we are not here for us, we are here for Him. Your Christianity is not a what-can-I-get-out-of-it kind of thing. It should translate into what-can-I-do-for-you. You see, the disciples were left with a, uh, a great commission. When Jesus, right before he ascended into heaven, he didn't say, go out and build churches that feed the what's in it for me attitude. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Disciples are, in fact, followers of Christ and should, in fact, turn and be servants of Jesus Christ. The question is, are we servants today? Are we as individual servants? I, I, I don't know that we can answer that question in one moment. 
I think what we have to do at different times is look at where we have been and where we are now. You might be able to answer that in a very quick answer. My hope today for everybody who is sitting here today is that you would be able to answer a resounding, yes, I'm a servant. But the thing is, is there are times in our lives where serving others and serving God becomes difficult because there are some things that get in the way. And the one thing really that gets in the way the most is what we want. And what we want often hinders what God wants. God wants to use us for His glory. He wants to use us for His honor. Those who will teach Sunday school, God wants to use you, but there will be things that will get in the way of preparing for Sunday school. The same way those who are here and will be listening to the lessons, do you know that you will be serving by your attendance? You don't think that. Sometimes people don't think, well, if I'm there, no big deal. If if I'm not, no big deal. But that's wrong. You see, it is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. We have to serve God. Now, service in action requires some things. The first thing that it requires is this. It requires full allegiance to one master. Matthew chapter 6. Go there if you're not there. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. It says this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Note, first of all, the impossibility of serving two masters. This is often the case, and sometimes the the great challenge of getting younger people and young adults and young teenagers to follow Jesus Christ is there is always the pull of the other master. Well, who is the other master? The devil. The bottom line, it's the devil. The Bible says there is an enemy who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is an adversary. He is an opponent. He is never a friend. He, Though he paints and polishes the world to make it look like it's something inviting, on the inside there is nothing but heartache and heartbreak that can bring about so, such devastating effects. But the bottom line is that oftentimes... There is the pull of other things. You cannot, the Bible says, and Jesus says, it is impossible. No one can serve two masters. Yet with the impossibility of this plainly understood, why is it so many Christians try to do this? We try to serve two masters. You see, very, very few believers, Christians, get the idea of serving God and the devil confused. We, we understand the line there. But as I mentioned just a moment ago, there is another master that, that walks onto the scene and says, I demand the attention, and it's called self. You get in your own way. You stumble over your own feet. 
Oftentimes, when it comes to serving Jesus Christ and serving Him with all our heart, the devil is not the problem. Oftentimes, it's simply us. We want what we want, and somehow we view that serving God is going to get in the way of all of those things that we want. So we say, God, forget it. Listen, brothers and sisters, you cannot serve two masters. But if you want to serve Jesus Christ, you have to focus on Him and Him alone. Say, well, God doesn't care about what I, what I have or what I'm going through or what I'm feeling. God cares more than you do. The problem is, is we don't allow Him to run our lives in such a way that His love and His grace and His mercy can be proven to us in our, in our situation and, and during the time that we're serving Him. We think we have to hold on to things. Don't hold on to anything. Let it go and say, God, it's yours. I want to serve you with all my heart my soul and my mind. You see, this gets into the what's in it for me mentality. What can I get out of it? Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if we would all attend church with the God, what can I give you today mentality? That when we come through the doors, I know a lot of times we come in, we're hurting, we're down, we're discouraged. We've got a lot of things going on. But in the end, are we not here to worship Him? Are we not here to lift Him higher? Is this not supposed to be a place of glorifying God and worshiping Him in such a way that we can say, God, I'm going to give you my praise today. You know what's going on in my heart. Listen, God is not oblivious to what you're dealing with today. God does does not... There isn't anything that He's missing. Don't think for a moment that God has forgotten what it is that you is weighing upon your heart. God knows what you're going through. He understands what you're going through more than you probably can fathom and grab onto. He knows what you're dealing with. So it's all the more reason to give God praise and to say, God, I want to serve you in my worship. I want to serve you with my life. I want to serve you with everything. Don't serve self. We're here to serve Jesus. We have to do that and that alone. You see, the self-serving spirit can creep in. And it can creep into whatever ministry we have or get involved in. We, could, we will find efforts becoming stagnant, powerless, and lacking in results. And you know what, brothers, I look, brothers and sisters? I look around the room today and something makes me think that something has grown stagnant. The 900-pound elephant in the room is simply this. We look around and there are too many empty seats. There are just way too many. I I can't even begin to think for a moment that we find it as a body acceptable. I'm going into a whole other area. I wasn't supposed to go. I've been telling myself, stay out of it, stay out of it. But you know what? The bottom line, why, why stay out of it? We're in it. When God calls us to serve, He calls us not to just take up space and to somehow think it's enough. Serving Jesus says, Jesus, I want to promote you. And a lot of times we shrink from that because we think, well, the world doesn't like Jesus anymore. It never liked Jesus. Show me a time in history where the world at large loved Jesus and went after Him. He has always been offensive. The cross has always offended people. Jesus coming to this earth and dying. Well, we can talk about God. No, you, you can't. Because God is, the meaning has been lost in society. What nails you is Jesus. 
What pegs you for a believer is your ability to say, you know, as a Christian, as somebody who follows Christ, all of a sudden, boom, you are now part of society that people look at a little funny. Say, I don't want to be looked at funny. You know what? Jesus was looked at funny. We have to promote Him in our daily lives. I know a lot of times we think, well, church is here. You know, people should come. Why? Why should they come? Because a building sits here? Somebody came in the other day. I I don't remember when it was. They came in. Well, we've walked by here many times. They walked in. They walked out. I haven't seen them since. The question comes is, are we lifting Jesus higher or are we just trying to go through the motion? You see, the world wants to see servants of Christ. I believe with all my heart that what God is calling us to do is something greater than what we currently do. But it takes work. Even beginning Sunday school, it takes work. It takes, it's a challenge. We have to tell ourselves, this is important in my service to Christ. If we deem it not important, then essentially what's going to happen is it will fall flat. It's up to us to say this is important. A lot of times we think serving Jesus only has to do with pulpit ministry or playing an instrument or grabbing a microphone and singing. That's serving, Pastor. No, that's not serving. That's only part of it. But serving, brothers and sisters, goes into our daily lives. It goes out into the world where we are to be a light to a lost and a dying world. People who are cantankerous and angry and frustrated by life. Why? Because they're following a path that says this is the right path. This is the politically correct path. Or this is the the path that everybody else in the world is following. But why in the world am I so miserable? Because you need Jesus. You need Jesus. You see, Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't tell us to go into the world and mix and mingle and make everybody think we're, we're cool because, you know, that, that's not what Jesus called us to do. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve self and say we serve Jesus. You can't. Absolutely impossible. You can't serve the world. Whatever kind of thing you're tied to the world in, whatever kind of secret sin lays beneath the surface, you can't say, you you say, well, I, I just say I'm a Christian. Well, who cares what you say? Saying does not mean anything. Action speaks louder than words. How you live, the way you live, proves who you are. It shows what you are. And this is where Jesus is saying, you can't serve two masters because one master is going to demand action. The other master is going to demand action. And when you put them next to one another, they're going to be opposed to each other. Well, I'm going to serve my own ideas and flesh and I'm going to serve what I want. But oh, by the way, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me on Sundays. That's how we get, you know, and then during the week, I'm just going to do what I want to do. You're in opposition to one of the, you can't do it. It's impossible. Now, The other thing that we have to understand about this is that total devotion will bring effective service. Think about this for a minute. Total devotion will bring effective service. 
Think about the things in your life that you do well. So if I don't do anything well, I'll stop it. Yes, you do. There are things you do well. And essentially, you know why? Because whether you want to or not, maybe it's because of a job or anything like that, it's because you have to be totally devoted to it. And a lot of times when it comes to our faith and it comes to service in the local church, we give God just a little bit. We don't give Him our whole heart because God, you know, I'm so busy. I got this, I got that, I got this. We, make, we have all kinds of excuses why it is we can't do this and we can't do that and we can't do this and we can't give Him our full, undivided attention. I can't read my Bible. I can't pray. I can't do anything like that. But I'll go to church on Sunday so everybody thinks I'm okay. Stop trying to impress people. Impress God. How do I do that? By serving Him. By loving Him. By but you say, but can I really impress God? Is he impressed with any of those things? I'm not saying impressed in the sense of, wow, that earns you a place in the kingdom. It doesn't. It's by faith. We know that. But the bottom line is, when we have, we have come into the kingdom of God, we need to then put service into action. Why? Because we love him. We want, Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. Obeying the commands is a total devotion. It is a giving of your all. It is saying, Jesus, I am completely yours. I am devoted to you. A servant that will be completely devoted and has unwavering allegiance to one master will carry out that master's wishes as though those wishes had been born in the heart of the servant himself. You will be willing to carry out those things as if, they, as if you owned them. Why? Because you know who your master is. You know what? We need to fall in love with Jesus all over again so we'll do more for him. So we'll, we'll be totally devoted and do more for his kingdom. Now, service in action also requires full attention to your master. Turn over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 37 through 38. Listen to what the Bible says. Jesus is saying these things. It would be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch at night, that is, in the way in night, wee hours of the morning. It will be good. First thing he says here that it requires our full attention is to be watchful. The question is, where do we watch? More importantly, who do we watch? Hebrews tells us these words that we are looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We have to look at Him. Look to Jesus. Keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. God 
is the one we must be looking at. Be watchful. How else can we stay attentive to what he really wants unless we are looking at him? If we're giving our attention to something else, we will never be the kind of servant that our master requires. We have to keep our eyes fixed on him. Look at him. Say, how do I do that? Through the word and through prayer. It's so basic. It's so simple. The only way that we can do that is to have a continual renewing relationship with Jesus Christ. That I might look at him, that I might look to him, and that then in turn I might be like him. You see, the thing about becoming a servant of Jesus is to look at him enough so that then we become like him. You know, we sing the little chorus, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask is to be like him. But sometimes we sing that because we like the tune more than we like the words. The words are really tough. Because for us to be like him, it takes devotion. It requires full on being watchful and being ready and full attention to the master. He also says this in this passage we just read in in Luke chapter 12. He says, be ready. Well, ready for what? Very simply, ready to do whatever the master requires. Every now and then, God is going to ask of you to do something that is outside of what you're comfortable with. And that is the area that you're going to have to say, Lord, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. And you will find that if you're willing to do what God wants you to do, and it's outside of your comfort zone, He's going to give you the power, the ability, the strength, and, and, and help you to do that thing and perform it for His kingdom that will bring glory to His name, not yours. But God sometimes, He desires for us, and we need to be ready in order for us to do that. We have to be looking to Him to do what He requires. I realize that Jesus is talking about readiness of his return in this passage, but we have to also remember that even within that context, readiness does not mean just sitting around doing nothing. It means working, doing something for the kingdom, contributing, adding to the work rather than taking away from it. It is these servants were in fact doing something. And that, brothers and sisters, is what we have to say, well, until God leads me to do something else, this is what I do. Well, that's great. Continue to do it, work at it, and be ready for whatever God has in store for you. For you to be ready, it simply means not to sit by and wait for nothing to happen, but to stand and say, I'm willing to serve. I want to serve God and do His work, His will, His way. And it doesn't just mean in the church. You, on a daily basis, are out in the world. You're out where people who are that don't know Christ. And it's vitally important for every one of us to be in a position to say, Lord, make me ready to even be able to open my mouth to go and to make disciples of all nations. You see, making disciples starts with somebody deciding to follow Jesus. You know, over over the last... There are those in the body of Christ who think somehow decisions for Christ are not important. Um, strangely, they have taught, don't even give altar calls for salvation because it, you know, it doesn't really, that doesn't do anything. Decisions don't mean anything. 
And I look at that theology and I think to myself, where do you begin then? There, decisions, a decision is a beginning point. It's the start. It's not the end. I understand what they're saying. We've got to have disciples. But in order for somebody to become a disciple, they have to decide when confronted with the gospel that they want to become a disciple. It takes a decision. Be ready and be willing to confront somebody with the opportunity to have and to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Be ready to serve and say, God, help me to open my mouth and Lord, put the wisdom of God in my mouth when I speak it so that when I present you, Jesus, it will be the most glorious and most wonderful thing. I I think we have to depend on the Holy Spirit a whole lot more than we have. Because a lot of times we depend on what we know. We depend on our own ingenuity. We depend on our own abilities. And and maybe sometimes we discount ourselves because we say, well, I don't have the ability to converse with somebody and lead them to Jesus Christ. If you would open up your heart to what Jesus wants you to do and say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. Then you would be amazed at what God is able to do. We'll say, Pastor, you know, the last time that happened, somebody said, you're crazy. I don't want anything to do with that. And I've never opened my mouth since. Why? Because one person rejected it. You imagine what would have happened if Jesus had at the first sign of the Pharisees rejecting him said, okay, Father, this is not working out. I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. What, What would have happened? The Bible says that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. That people rejected him. So don't think for a minute that the rejection is a rejection of you as an individual. It's a rejection of him. Don't worry. Move on to the next one. And that's exactly what Jesus did. There's somebody out there who has a hurting heart who knows that God is able to mend it but has not heard the good news of the gospel yet. Be ready to share it. Be ready and be open. There is one final thing that it requires. This service in action requires a full aspiration to be like your master. We got to want to be like Jesus. We have to want to be like him. I don't remember what the commercial was a few years ago. There was a commercial about Michael Jordan, and it was to be like Mike. Right? Was it Nike? I don't know if it was Nike or McDonald's. I, I don't know what he was hooked in with at that moment, but it was to be like Mike. And it was this little jingle, this commercial. That's the only thing I can remember from it. I don't even remember who did it. Be like Mike. And everybody wanted to be like Mike. And they thought if they bought those hundred and whatever bazillion dollar shoes, that they could be like Mike, you know? Nike was so smart in that. They made a boatload of money from Michael Jordan. Of course, he made some too. But, you know, somehow these kids who are three feet tall walking around wearing these shoes thought they were going to end up like Mike. And, you know, lo and behold, they didn't end up like Mike. We want to be like him. There are people in the world we look at, we say, oh, I, if I could just be like that person, you know. And, of course, we probably look at somebody who's successful, has loads of cash and loads of money. If I could be like them and have what they have, then certainly I could be as miserable, I mean, as happy as they are. Because you don't know what's going on on the inside, by the way. As we have seen with many of our movie stars and comedians and different people in the world, you don't know what lies underneath. 
But we think, I could be like them. That would be, that would be wonderful. It would be great. If you could be like Jesus, wouldn't that be wonderful? But the Bible says that you can. He is our great example. I'm not saying you can be perfect like he was perfect. In that he was sinless. We are not sinless. But the Bible says this. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to see how it is that we are able to be like Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 8. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. And the Bible says this. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, think about this for a minute. We don't have any reference point other than Jesus. In very nature, in His nature, He was God and is God. Did not consider equality with God, that is the Father, something to be grasped. But made himself, what, nothing? Nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Think about that for a moment. Being made in human likeness. He became in very nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. He became obedient to experience something that every human being one day down the road, somewhere along the way, will have to experience. He became obedient even to that experience. And it was a horrific death, death on a cross. Let me just read this verse. Since you're in Philippians right now, just stay there. But Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Oh, I love that. But to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Now, we can become like him in one of those ways. We can't give our lives a ransom for many. He already did that. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he did it once for all. There's no need for any other sacrifice because his sacrifice was enough. So there's no need for us to do that. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we are to to give our bodies as living sacrifices, not dead sacrifices, living sacrifices, to be like him, to live for him, We aspire to greatness. You see, being great in the servant, uh, great as a servant in the kingdom of God means that I've got to follow the example of Jesus. I realize there are others out in the world. There are people you'd like to be like. There are individuals you'd like to emulate. In fact, when I was a little boy, probably about five, six years old, something like that, I would stand out on my front lawn. We had a ginormous lawn, which I... I came to love as a kid, but then later on when my dad said, okay, there's the lawnmower, go to it, I didn't love it so much. But, you know, I stood out on the front lawn, and I would pretend I'd throw up a ball, and I would hit it with a baseball bat, and I would pretend to be Reggie Smith, who played baseball for the Boston Red Sox in the 1967 World Series as a rookie. They lost, by the way. We all know that story. Uh, no, you don't here in Chicago, but you can identify as Cubs fans. And, and they lost, but I wanted to be like Reggie. 
And I would, I, would, I would throw the ball up in the air, and I would hit the ball, and then I would run around my imaginary bases. And I would come to home plate, and I would shout up and down, I hit home run, yay, Reggie, yay, Reggie. Now, Reggie, by the way, was uh, the center fielder for the Red Sox 67 World Series was the year I was born. So clearly, I did not see him play. I didn't, we didn't have a TV. I heard about him from my older brothers. And I wanted to be Reggie. Well, the bottom line was, I wanted to be like him so much that eventually I became known in my town as Reggie Lawrence. The name stuck. That was my nickname. Go figure. But literally, by the time I was in high school, I was known as Reggie Lawrence. My mother used to say, that's your heathen name, not your Christian name. And I said, but I love it. I didn't even like the name Brent. I was like, why'd you have to name me Brent? Couldn't you have named me John or Mark or something? You know, something common that everybody... No, Brent. It had to be Brent. Well, my oldest brother is named Sterling. So there you go. But, you know, I, I just... I wanted to be Reggie Lawrence. I was aspiring to greatness. I was doing my very best to be like him. And I was never, ever, ever, ever like Reggie ever, because I didn't make it into the major leagues. I was a baseball player for as long as I was in school from the time I was a little guy, but that was it. You see, if we want to be like Jesus, we have to see him and look at him. Now, I had never seen Reggie play. In fact, I don't think to this day I ever saw one baseball game the guy played in, not one. So there was hard for me to even emulate him. He was a center fielder. I ended up being a catcher. I don't know how that happened either. But the bottom line is for us to be like him, for us to aspire to greatness and to be like Jesus, we have to see him, we have to get to know him. And the way that we do that again is through the word of God and through prayer. If I am going to aspire to greatness, there has to be things that we do. And the Bible says this about Jesus. Paul states there are two things that Jesus did that showed him to be a servant and it's something that we can do to be become servants of Christ. And it is the first thing is he made himself nothing. You know, most of us in our society, especially in the today's job market, you have to walk into that company and make yourself out to be the very best thing that company has ever seen. And when it translates into Christianity, sometimes we bring that into God's presence. and We say, God, aren't I so good? Lord, check me out. And he's already checked you out. He's saying, make yourself nothing, and then you'll be something. Make yourself of no worth, of no value. Say, does that mean I have to, you know, constantly be saying negative things about myself? No, not at all. That's not what it means. It just recognize who you are in the light of who he is. And you make yourself nothing. He emptied himself of all that was rightfully his so that he could accomplish all that his father has planned. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we hold on to those things that we feel are rightfully ours, but they sometimes stand in the way of accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish. Let go of it. Make yourself nothing so that you can be like your master and aspire to that greatness. There's another thing that he did, and it was he was obedient, and we can be obedient. Not just to some order given by someone who wanted him to do something small. He was obedient, the Bible says, to death. 
While none of us will ever face this type of obedience, we must realize in order to be a servant that God wants us to be, we must die to sin and to self. We have to say, Lord, it's not my way, but your way that is the best way. Your will be done in my life, Jesus. If I'm going to be like you, if I want to be like you are, then I have to say, Lord, it is your way that is the best way. There is something else that Jesus did, and it was he served others. Serving others is so difficult at times because we often expect something back. And this is giving without expecting anything to come back to you. This is where Jesus is the ultimate example. Because the Bible lets us know that he came to give his life a ransom for many. He gave his life knowing that there would be people who would reject his love and his sacrifice that he made while giving his life on the cross. He died knowing that there would be people even possibly in this room who would reject it. Isn't that an amazing thing? That you would give to somebody and that somehow they wouldn't even begin to show you appreciation. I'm terrible when it comes to, you know, if I hold the door open for somebody, right? You know, I, I, I was born in another generation where, you know, men, if a lady's coming through the door, you, you know, you hold the door open. Right, men? Okay, see what I'm saying? Uh, you hold the door open. It's a lady coming through. I, every now and then, the lady would say, thank you. You're welcome, you know, that, that's it. It's easy peasy, you know, it's just hold the door open. And I've had it happen where, where I hold the door open and the person walk right through and won't say anything. And if I'm having a moment, I have been known to say, you're welcome. And they say nothing. I don't know if they heard it or they didn't hear it. But, you know, you sort of, even that little act of service, as we like to say, you open the door, you expect to hear a thank you. You know, you let somebody go and you expect in front of you in the car and you expect to get the, the little congenial thank you wave from, you know, behind and they, and they don't, they just go. You're like, yeah, you know, right? Oh, but we're servants. Jesus served without expecting anything in return. And I think that service comes through, that that mindset of service is shown in the parable that he told about the Good Samaritan. We call it the Good Samaritan. He just told the story of how it was the Samaritan man, not a Jew, took care of a Jewish man who they were racially at odds with one another. They were not, they didn't like each other, not even the least. And yet the Samaritan saw this man who had been beaten and left for dead and not even the, the man's own Jewish brethren who came by, the religious guys that saw him and the lawyer and all of those guys of the same household didn't, didn't do anything but the Samaritan did. And the Bible says that he took him to an inn and he paid for the innkeeper to care for him. And whatever expenses, he said, if, if I owe you anything, when I come back, I will pay it then. 
that service. We usually expect something in return. Jesus shows us the most important kind of service is that when we give, we don't expect anything back. If it comes back, bonus, blessing. But the bottom line is God has called us to be servants of Jesus Christ. The kind of service that He gave to each and every one of us was He served mankind even though He knew there would be those who would reject Him. He even served those who would reject Him. It's an amazing thing. Jesus has done so much for each and every one of us. Don't you want to be like Him? I don't know about you. I want to be like Jesus. Forget being like Mike. Mike has had his problems in life. Jesus has not had any. Let us be like Jesus. Let us reach out to Him and say, Lord, make me like You. Let me be a servant like You are. Let's bow our heads right now and let's pray and ask God to help us. In fact, I wonder if we could just stand together. Everybody stand together. And I wonder if we could just make it our prayer right now. Lord Jesus, help me to be a servant like you. It's a simple prayer. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be anything great. I'm going to pray, but make that your prayer today. Lord Jesus, help me to be a servant like you.